0: Hello, Barry. It has been a little while. We missed our first episode and I feel terrible about it, but it's good to be back. Episode 42.
1: Yes, Chad, indeed. We had our first week without a podcast episode, which was sad, but also yep. I was living vicariously through your your photos and you looked like you had an amazing week. So nothing really to complain about from your side, Chad.
0: No, definitely not. I had the most fantastic week away, kind of escaped, almost felt like I escaped the pandemic, which is really weird. And we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to traveling in a covid world um but yeah it was a good week I, I hear you yourself as well had some good social interactions last week starting to feel a bit more human again
1: it's been so good chad things are slowly starting to ease the side and i feel a lot a more like myself having had some yep. more social interactions saw some friends i'm even a little bit sunburned which hopefully oh. you won't be able to see if we edit this well enough but uh, we'll see how that goes but yeah it's been a really good week i'm feeling top of my game and i'm ready to get into episode 42
0: Amazing. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll notice the, Barry's angle slightly different. We decided to switch things up a little bit. Although we have grown to love the African sunset in the background that has you know been <laughs> quite a common theme on the podcast. And we decided let's just change things up a bit, try out a new scene. And uh, also, just if, if you look at our, our clothes as well, I'm wearing a mustard shirt and Barry's <laughs> wearing a nice stripy jersey. We've got to, you know, change it up every now and then.
1: Mix. It feels like season two, Chad. Doesn't it feel like season two to you? It's like we've grown up, we've learned our lessons, and we're here with new angles, new colors, and a lot of interesting stuff.
0: Well, welcome back. Pond, pond, yes. the, pond,
1: with Barry and Chad.
0: the other thing, Barry, is that the tide has started to turn on my gloating days of Good London weather. They've started to just,
1: I can't do them anymore. I love it, Chad. I love it. You enjoy those couple of weeks, but the African sun will always win out. Don't you worry, Chad. Is it cold that side? Oh,
0: man. We basically arrived. So left Greece and it was kind of like 30 odd degrees. I think it was 32 degrees most days. Arrived in a rainy London. I think we had to take the extra long bit of the runway because, you know, you can't slam on brakes when it's that wet on the roads. And it was 12 degrees as well. Um, so yeah not a nice welcome not, not a nice warm welcome I would have thought you know, London's
1: missed us wanted to give us a warm welcome back but uh, no <laughs> back to the same old same old that traditional London weather chat. I must say like the last few weeks we've been talking about London weather hasn't sounded like London to me whereas when you yep. said this the 12 degrees the overcast that seems more like the UK at least in my stereotypical mind
0: <laughs> it does well anyway let's stop talking about that and let's move on to what happened this past <laughs> week the week that was
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, this is Johannesburg, and these are your breaking news stories. (laughs) Tonight, we found out that Internet Explorer, 25 years old, is finally dead. We cross over to Chad Sturley in London for the uh, latest updates.
0: Thank you, Barry. Thank you for tuning over. And yes, you are right. We have found that news finally coming through. That Microsoft Internet Explorer is finally dead. A lot of people have said that this has been coming for some time. I had some interviews lined up, but the people who I had in (laughs) mind are not here to voice their opinions. Uh, But you're right. It's over, Barry. It's over for Internet Explorer. What a dramatic intro, but I think needed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very much needed, Chad. I think Internet Explorer was one of the symbols of the modern internet, right? One of those very first web browsers. And uh, it comes to an end, like the era is over. Um, For me, I'm a little bit sad because I've been been enjoying the memes over the last few years because, of course, Internet Explorer has been getting slower and slower and slower and more bulky. And it it doesn't really fit the kind of modern internet. And uh, so Microsoft will finally sunset the product, and they're going to move forward with with better things going forward. But I'm going to miss the memes, Chad.
0: Oh, I'm sure the memes will keep coming, Barry, because I'm sure it's ingrained <laughs> in people's uh, mind. I'm, I'm sure you've got people who specialise in Microsoft Internet Explorer memes, and they now have nothing to meme about. So I'm sure they're going to just keep keep it going. Um, hopefully, we'll hope. But you're right. I think for a long time, I mean, Internet Explorer was, I guess, when it was first introduced. Um, you know, the thing it was able to interface us, providing this space to the Internet, this, uh, you know, massive world of the Internet that a lot of people were unsure what it would be able to do one day. And obviously, as technologies have evolved, um, I mean, I believe Google Chrome is phasing out Flash, the Flash player that we all used to love as well and play various interactive games when we used to be kids, Barry. But that's it. That's the evolution. We now have HTML5. We've got all sorts of new protocols, etc. And it just it was not worth them keeping going.
1: Yeah, one of those things, I think we see this technology becomes obsolete after a while. And 25 years is actually a really good run if you think about it. Like most software, most products don't last that long. And so for it to last 25 years is really a testament to how important it was. And in the beginning of the PC world, when Microsoft had a complete domination over the markets and owned like 97%. Internet Explorer was that default setting. And it was, like you say, the portal to the rest of the world, which is really exciting. And so it does feel like the end of an era. It's almost like a, a Steve Jobs leaving Apple kind of feeling in, in, in some cases because that little E, that little E we used to click on all the time, <laughs> that, that was like so symbolic of what the internet had to offer. And if you look at the internet of 25 years ago versus the internet of today, yep. I mean, you wouldn't believe it, Chad.
0: Absolute stark difference. Um, I mean, you know, 25 years ago, I was only three years old, um, which, is, which is an insane thought. And yeah, like you said, quite a resilient bit of software that uh, to have kept going for this long. I'm sure Bill Gates will be proud on that front. Um, what else happened this past week, Barry? Something pretty big happened that side in South Africa, obviously on one of our favorite topics, which is data, personal data. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, Chad, A really, really big news aside, potentially the biggest data breach we've ever seen here in the country, here in South Africa. So really was like big headline news when it happened. And the, the country's had about a week or so to kind of deal with it. And so there's been some updates to the original story. But basically, there's a big credit bureau here in the country called Experian. And they are one of the major market leaders. They hold a lot of credit information when people are looking for credit scores and insurance and that sort of thing here in the country. And so a lot of the big banks use them to hold their credit data. And so they have Millions and millions and millions of people's worth of sensitive personal information. Yep. And what happened, Chad, was that a lot of those pieces of data got stolen, basically. So it Brilliant. sounds like 24 million South Africans were affected. 750,000 businesses had their information stolen. And that included ID numbers, residential addresses, physical addresses, and contact details, right? And what we normally think about when we think of these kind of hacks, we talked about hacks in the past. Yeah. This wasn't like a very sophisticated like hack from a Russian spy <laughs> bot that infiltrated the systems or anything. It was willingly handed over by Experian on a flash drive to some con man who was um, impersonating one of their clients, basically. And so Crazy. they willingly handed over all of the data to this guy and uh, about a month later realized, hold on a minute, that, that actually was a, a fraudulent <laughs> use of that data and then try to backtrack and try to figure it out. So a really big breach, Chad.
0: Absolutely. What a massive, massive breach. And just that story of it being uh, you know, not a sophisticated attack, nothing like that, it rings true to a book that I've been reading and one that I, I think I'll bring up a little bit later on uh, you know, in the future with some of the very specific points. Uh, but if we do go into this tiny little rabbit hole, if you indulge me for a second, Barry, um, is this idea of the humans and our affinity to truth default? So basically, in this book, which is which is the book called "Talking to Strangers" by Malcolm Gladwell, and essentially he he basically presents a whole bunch of of cases to you. One of them was a Cuban spy, a spy that had been in the American, I think it's called the DIA, if if that's the word. I might it might be the wrong one. Um, but essentially, a spy that had been given a medal by Fidel Castro himself, and you know that a lot of people loved and thought was really good at her job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just because of our affinity to, to default to truth. Unless we have enough switches that flick up, and apparently that's a quite a high threshold, um, before we start questioning things that don't seem right or don't seem um, A-OK. So that just rings true to, to this, and I guess that's exactly what happened here. And it's crazy to think how many people have been affected on the back of this because of something so silly. It really is crazy the more and more cases that he presents forward in this book. You just realize that as humans, we're wired that way. And obviously, there is you know, evolutionary reasons for it, um, but it's just a crazy thought.
1: Yeah, it's one of those interesting pieces of cybersecurity is that no matter how good your system is technically, no matter how good your, your software is or the way it's designed or any of the, the cybersecurity measures, there's always humans involved in the process. Yeah. And so there's always weaknesses at those human interaction points. Because like you say, like we, we want to believe people. I mean, yep. it would be a horrible world to go in if you, if you distrusted every single thing you heard. I mean, you wouldn't know what to do with the world, yep. right? So we kind of default to understanding, cool, I'm just going to go with this guy until he gives me reason to distrust him or gives me reason to think otherwise. I'm just going to accept what he's saying is true. And we kind of have to live like that in that society. But what it does is it opens up opportunities for con men, for liars, for people who deceive to get away with certain things like this. And so, yeah, it's a weird one, Chad, but it has very serious implications. Like a breach like this can affect like so many people and so many unsuspecting consumers if they're not aware of it or if they don't realize that this is out there, they may end up losing money down the line as people start to impersonate each other, as people start to do fraudulent activity, try and do phishing and all that kind of stuff to pull money out of people's pockets. It can be really bad. So we have to think about this really carefully about the way our humans interact with our systems and not only protecting the cybersecurity side, but also training our people to ensure that we're doing the right things when it comes to the human processes, because that's almost as important.
0: Okay, so now you are a South African and you fear you might be one of the 24 million uh, that Barry has mentioned. I mean, what do you do at this point? Your information is out there. It's not like you can all go and apply for a new ID number or you know, move houses um, so that it's not applicable anymore. What do you do at this point?
1: I think the first thing is not to panic. Like, well, you yeah. must remember, they don't have your login details. They don't have your banking details or any of that stuff. So don't panic, first of all. That's the first thing. Yeah. My second suggestion would be go and chat to your bank. I know some of the banks have got lists of the exact customers that have been breached. So maybe yeah. email your bank, phone your bank, and just check, have my information been leaked? Um, I'm not sure if they can tell you leaked. I, I don't know how that works. Um, maybe they can tell you exactly if you're the one of the people. Um, but just maybe check with them. And then the third piece is the same thing we we say all the time, Chad, about things like just be careful and be cautious. Don't give away your one-time pin to someone over the phone. Don't like don't give personal information away over the phone. Like make sure that if you're dealing with someone from a bank or from a insurance company or something, do your checks to make sure they're legit before you give away any personal information. Because yeah. what they're gonna try and do is they're gonna try and now impersonate these people. They might phone, they might phone a customer and say, listen, <clears throat> Hi, Joe Blogs. your ID number is this and this and this. There's been a problem with your online banking. We need to change the password. Can you just help me out? What is your old password? And they'll help yeah. you change it over the phone. And then they have access to your banking accounts. And so the only thing you can do is just be aware that those scams exist and know that no one's ever going to ask you for your password or your one-time PIN or any of that stuff over the phone. If you can hold yourself to that, there's nothing that these people can do with the information or nothing nefarious at least.
0: Right, Okay. Um. So, common logic prevails. We just keep our wits about us, I guess, and uh, and just you know practice smart. I guess uh, authentication, smart uh, you know password practices, and all of that kind of stuff, and just remain diligent as well. Um, you know, no one's going to phone you uh, to ask you to reset your bank password. So just try and keep that you know normal logic going. Uh, just in terms of a, a bit more of the story, Barry. So now, you, as you said, it's been a couple of weeks before the story broke out. Uh, we now have a bit more idea of when it happened, uh, You know the kind of timelines, when it was found out, when it was enacted upon, all of that kind of stuff. Why don't you talk us through that?
1: Yeah, so obviously they've been investigating what happened and trying to figure out exactly how it all played out. And it looks like the actual breach happened in May, which was a right. while ago, Chad, and that's a bit <laughs> yeah. worrying. Apparently the company only detected the breach about two months later on the 22nd of July. And they went to the courts and applied for what's called an Anton Pillar court order. Okay. And as far as I understand, this is like a, it's a, it's a court order to look for suspects, but keep it under wraps because obviously you don't want the, you don't want the person who's breached to know that you're onto them. Right. And so this court order went out and did a bunch of investigations and they found a suspect who they're pretty sure was the one who who got the data. Um, and so as far as I understand that suspect has been arrested and has been, um all his goods have been, uh, what's the word, repossessed and the okay. data has been deleted apparently and whatnot. So they think they've got the person. They think they've got the guy, which is a good thing. Um, but you've got no idea what he did with the data in between those two months right and you've got no idea where yeah. the data might be elsewhere if i'm a criminal i'm not just leaving it on my laptop i'm making backups i'm sending it elsewhere yeah. i'm doing other stuff as well so so who knows what's happened but as far as i understand they have found what they think who they think was the person was and they are trying to to kind of put him behind bars the second thing is that obviously for someone like, from a civilian like myself I want to see Experian face some punishment for this right? Sure. because of their negligence. Yeah. And this is where things get a little bit tricky because I think all South Africans will know of the, what's called the Poppy Act the, yep. the Protection of Personal Information Act. It's like the big data privacy law that came into the country a couple of years ago. Yep. And I kind of assumed Chair, that it was already in full effect because it, so many people talk about it and it's kind of it's it's we've been talking about it for a while now. Yep. And I found out through investigating this story is that it's not fully in effect just yet so if it was fully in effect what experiment would face would be fines i think it's up to about 10 million rand fine for negligence as well as their directors might actually face imprisonment if it was found to be severely negligent so serious serious um, consequences here but poppy isn't actually in effect yet what happens is the companies have until the 1st of july in 2021 to align with poppy so obviously, okay. whenever you bring out new legislation, you have to give people time to rejig their systems and yeah. rechange their processes and get into a position where they're ready to comply with it. And that period was still in as South Africans. And so I don't know if Experian are going to face anything from this because previously there was no real legislation to deal with this sort of data breach. And at the end of the day, it might only be seen as a criminal case with the guy who stole the data versus a negligence case of Experian itself. And I find that a bit worrying and a bit sad, but I suppose it's how legislation has to work. You can't just say, okay, tomorrow you have to change all your systems to deal with all this new regulation. I don't know what you think, Chad.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, it's one of those where we're just talking about technical terms. I think you know, if we were to just ask the ordinary person on the street uh, what what their thoughts was, I mean, obviously they were negligent here. They just handed this information over without doing proper due diligence on where it was going, Um, And ultimately, they are aware of this Poppy Act. They're aware of these requirements. So the fact that technically speaking, they didn't fall within that period, um, I don't know. I I really, really think it's just a poor case of timing for all the consumers whose data was included in this breach. And uh, I just hope we hear a little bit more on the story. And uh, yeah, hopefully the guy who uh, they suspect being guilty on this one, um, you know, they're able to ultimately wrap up their trial and uh, all that data has been seized. I think that's the key thing here. So shall we move on then, Barry? I wanted to chat a little bit about the Apple versus Epic Games case that happened this past week in court. Now, I remember you mentioned this particular person's Ben Thompson um, with his newsletter, strategy. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. And I've actually signed up to it as well. um, And it's been coming through my inbox. But they're not light reads. You definitely need a
1: bit of time to wean your way through it. I don't know how he does it, Chad, because I'm on the free version, which is once a week, but yep. there's a paid version where I think it's three <laughs> or four times a week. I have yep. no idea how he writes this much depth, like you say, such technical stuff, such well-researched stuff Yep. on a three to four times a week basis. It's absolutely amazing. And it's one of my favorite blogs because... His writing is world-class. And so I'd encourage you to, to just dig through the details, dig through <laughs> the depths on the on the topics that, that matter to you because I don't know of another tech reviewer or tech journalist that is writing better stuff right now than Ben Thompson. He mm-hmm. really is world-class.
0: Amazing. Well, yeah, I think I do need to just give a bit more time there and actually read through some of the stuff because I guess it's one of those things. It's one of those where the email app for me is emails. I don't typically or haven't typically received or, you know, Signed up to too many newsletters apart from yours, Barry. So when it comes to actually reading through a newsletter in the email, my mental state when it comes to um, reading through it is is reading short form stuff. Um, where I don't know if that's just maybe a mental shift that is needed. Do you go onto his actual blog and read it there, or you know do you actually read it through in your email app?
1: So what I do is I have a, an app called Pocket, which saves uh-huh. things for offline reading. So right. any articles I find, any blog posts I find, any newsletters I find, I'll go through my emails and I'll save the links into Pockets. What that then does is it downloads it in an offline fashion. So then I can read it on my phone, I can read it on my laptop without needing the internet. And that okay. helps me to try and avoid the distractions of trying to read on the internet. <laughs> I find if I, if I was to go to someone's blog and start reading a post, within three seconds there's something distracting and I click and I click yep. and I click. And yep. before you know it, you're on some Wikipedia page of some old Roman emperor and you're like, how did I get you? <laughs> How did I get you? Um, and so I find those those kind of on, offline reading apps very popular, so very very useful at least. So there's Pocket, there's Instapaper, there's Readwise, there's a whole bunch of them. Okay. But that's what I recommend. So I've got a whole bunch of newsletters that come into my email inbox. I scroll through, I delete the ones that don't look interesting, any ones that do look interesting, I'll save to offline. And then every now and then, once every two or three days, I'll go through all of my offline articles and I'll spend two, three hours reading them as if I was reading a book, but going through all the various blogs and articles that I found. Because I think for me, there's so much good stuff happening in the blog world that, that, that can really be useful for your career, for your yep. personal life, for any of that stuff. Um, and treating it with, with the seriousness and not, and not trying to read it on your phone while you're on the yep. toilet or on the subway or whatever. I think it actually goes a long way.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. That's definitely, that would definitely help with this mental shift that I'm talking about. Because like you, I get very distracted when it's in a browser or when it's in an email app. I don't know what it is. It is weird. Um, But thanks for all those resources. Uh, We'll definitely have to check them out. Okay, so tell us about this, um, you know, based on what you've read through. uh, What did you find out?
1: Yeah, so it follows on to an ongoing story we've chatted about a little bit in the past, which is Apple's App Store ecosystem. Yeah. And about the commission that they are just grabbing (laughs) from all of their App Store creators and uh, the, the drama around that. So for those who are coming to this for the first time, Apple obviously has this dominant App Store which has created this whole ecosystem of really talented developers creating apps for all shapes and sizes across the market and really have made it a real economy in that app store. But there's lots and lots of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars every single month. And what happens is that Apple charge you a premium price for the honor of being on the app store, (laughs) right? So if they accept you and they let you into the app store, they want to take 30% of everything that you earn as an app developer. Now 30% is a steep price, but at the same time, when you've got a company like Apple, which owns so many devices around the world and is one of the dominant players in the markets, you don't have many other options. If you want to get your yeah. app in front of people, Apple's got those eyeballs, right? And so you kind of you suck it up and you pay the 30% and you move on. Over time, people are getting more and more frustrated about this because a lot of apps, they might not need the App Store in order to develop, right? They might just use it as a place for people to go to the app. They might have other payment methods they'd like to use, But Apple forces you to use their payment methods. It forces you to use their in-app purchases, which means they get their 30%. And so over time, companies have started to push back a little bit and trying to kind of use some of their weight to to push back on some of the rules. And the latest one of these is Epic Games. And you might not know Epic Games, but you definitely know the game Fortnite, which is, I think, is the biggest game in the world. It has been for the last few years, at least. And so Fortnite is a monster. It has millions and millions and millions of daily active users It is a phenomenon, right? And so when Epic Games decided that, hold on a minute, we're going to try and put some pressure on here. So as far as I understand, they sent a letter to Apple saying that they're going to be installing a payment method inside of the game that isn't an Apple in-app purchase. And so they sent the letter. Yeah, very bold. I mean, who sent that to Apple? That's great. Apple, as expected, immediately removed them from the app store and Epic Games had a, had a lawsuit literally waiting. They'd obviously planned this whole strategy. They knew exactly yep. what Apple was going to do. And the moment it was removed from the App Store, Epic Games put a lawsuit down against Apple almost immediately. And wow. so they really started the started the ball rolling. And uh, what more than that, Chad, was a bit of an fu you to Apple. They made mm-hmm. this ad, which was a parody of Apple's famous 1984 commercial against Microsoft back in Steve Jobs' <laughs> days of the, the kind of the, the giant coming in over the, the auditorium and smashing the, the ground and whatnot, that famous Apple ad that we all know and love. They made a parody of that about this whole thing. So they were going to use this for publicity till the cows come home. And that started this giant snowball effect talking about what are the ethics of this app store? Is Apple in their rights to hold this 30% commission? And what is it going to mean for the future of the app store? Uh, I think this is going to be an ongoing story, Chad, because something has to give here. Something has to change, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, the timing of this is so interesting because we've been talking about this increasingly over the last, I'm going to say, four to five weeks. Um, so to actually hear it coming about and this particular case coming about in the last you know, week or two is crazy just in terms of that timing. Barry, to go a little bit off the rails here, have you played Fortnite? Do you know much about it?
1: I have played once. <laughs> okay. but I, I, don't know, I don't know enough about it. I've, I've watched some streams about it because I, obviously okay. it's a huge game, but I haven't played much, no. Have you?
0: It's something that I know very little to nothing about. I've never played the game myself. Um, like you, I know it's huge. And I've, you know, obviously we had NatChats on here. I think she plays Fortnite, one of her big games. Um. Yeah, it just is such a big game, but obviously for an app like that, that is able to have, I guess, a very very big user base on consoles and I guess on you know PCs, Macs, etc. For them, iOS, I'm guessing, would not be you know the, the biggest chunk of that. So they're able to move their weight around, I guess, a little bit more on this. Um, but it is interesting that the I guess the wider debate uh, gets I guess put to the front here, and we we get to talk about the the more important thing. So based on feeling, based on what Ben Thompson has to say, do you think Apple's going to be budging at all, whether it is in the near or
1: short-term future? I don't know, Chad. I, I don't think so, to be honest. They've got such a strong market position, right? It's very, it's very challenging for anyone to push them off that because even if Epic Games pull their pull their, their app from their store, there's still millions and millions of others that, that don't have the position to be able to do that, right? So Epic Games, like you say, is in a position where it's big enough, it's got enough weight behind it, it can't afford to not be on Apple's ecosystem. But there's so many other developers that have to be there. And so if there's no other competition, if there's no other kind of reason for them to do it, then it's only public opinion that's going to move them. And if you know anything about Apple, it's that they don't care what the public opinion yeah. is, right? They just do what is best for what they think is best with user experience and they have a point. It's not like it's a completely one-sided argument, right? Yeah, there's yeah, a reason definitely. that people love Apple, and that's because their stuff works. Their apps always work because they're so very specific and closed about their ecosystem. So there's never viruses and never problems with the Apple apps. And people forget about that because if you're on Apple for long mm. enough, you forget the Windows days when you know, the antivirus <laughs> stuff and all the chaos you have to oh deal my with, gosh. right? And so I know I sound like an Apple fanboy. <laughs> but 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 it's the truth. And that's one of the strengths of Apple. And so it's it's not a one-sided debate. This I understand that the idea that 30% might be too much and maybe the number needs to come down slightly. But at the same time, if you've got an ecosystem like that that they've built from the ground up, it's going to be very hard to convince them to give up any of that competitive ground.
0: Definitely, definitely is. And I guess we've addressed both sides of this, this debate before. I don't think we need to go to it too extensively before. But I think it is really interesting just to highlight, the I guess, the scale of what this kind of legal challenge in court is going to be you got epic games on the one side of the ring and Apple on the other. It really is, for me, going to be a massive, massive uh, game to watch out on. And uh, we'll certainly have to see who comes out on top of that one. Just in terms of some interesting things in terms of the current regulations. uh, I saw you made a point here, which I think is very, very interesting and worth certainly noting about the current rules, the current uh, case of the uh, App Store and what sort of apps may be limited by these current rules
1: yeah so it wasn't it wasn't my point actually. it was a point from one of the original iPhone team from Apple, so a guy called Francisco Tomolsky, who was on the okay. original iPhone team. And the point that he made was that the the current rules are so restrictive as to what you can do on the Apple device that he doesn't think that the a launch of a web browser would be, be possible in today's world. So if you think about the idea that a web browser is kind of this portal to the rest of the internet, and it really is a phone within a phone, if you think about it like that, today's rules wouldn't have allowed that if you went back 25 years to when Internet Explorer was out, right? And so his point is that what innovations might we be missing out on? Because the whole of the Apple developer ecosystem can't innovate on certain core functionality when it comes to web browsing, when it comes to payments, when it comes to integrating with different ecosystems with different smart speakers and all that good stuff. So that's, again, it's, it's one of the problems with a closed ecosystem is that you don't know what you're missing out on. One of the beautiful things about Android is that developers can mm. build literally whatever they want. They can change home screens, buttons, sounds. like and They can integrate with anything and everything, and they can create interesting things. And his point, Tomalski's point, was that maybe Apple's kind of short-term focus on keeping this as closed as possible, and keeping it as secure and private as possible... Might be a downfall if the new innovation all of a sudden doesn't come to Apple first, but goes yep. somewhere else first because they're not looking for that new kind of thinking. And I think it's a very, very well made point and certainly it's something to think about. What is the next kind of step in software technology going to be? And are Apple going to be able to do it if it doesn't come from internally? If it comes externally and they can't integrate it into their current rule book, then what happens?
0: It is an interesting point and it is fascinating to think about. Um, Because you're right, I think we obviously only know of what is currently on the App Store. It's always hard to figure out, you know, on a completeness point of view, what else is out there? What else could we be getting unless you know somebody who is ingrained in the Android ecosystem? And you and I, Barry, we are our fanboys, so we are very much stuck where we are. But I mean, I was actually quite surprised (laughs) when we talked about the Spotify debate. I honestly thought the integrations there wouldn't even work because of how we know how closed off this ecosystem is. and so it is really interesting to be able to think of all the other possible use cases. I guess when it comes to artificial intelligence and it comes to cloud computing, all of those kinds of things, I think that's maybe where we need to start shifting our focus on this front because potentially that's where some more innovations are gonna come. When I arrived back home and I was on YouTube, funny enough, in my you know typical rabbit hole on that platform, I came across a video that was really surprising to me. And I guess it might be semi-relevant to mention here because we are talking about a games developer and that is if you have an iPad and a PlayStation 4, you can play your PlayStation from anywhere in the world on your iPad with your PlayStation controller, which I thought was fascinating.
1: That's really cool. I think it points to a trend that we're seeing. I think the future of streaming gaming is coming pretty quickly. If you look at like mm. the Google Stadia concepts and the idea that one day you're going to be able to host your game, your console in the cloud and kind yep. of play it over to a streaming service. That's the trend, and so that makes a lot of sense. And and for me, that that is interesting, because it certainly does, it's a bit of a mission to lug your PS4 around if you <laughs> want to take it with you on a holiday or Definitely. whatever the story is. So if you were able to play it remotely, that would be interesting, but obviously the, they've got to fix the lag and make sure the latency is very, very low, especially if you're playing games like Fortnite, yep. which require you to be like to the millisecond.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I need to try it out. I need to see whether the latency is an issue or not. But for me, it's just one more extra case that if somebody who has a PlayStation 4 and is thinking of maybe getting an iPad, there's just an extra wonderful use case there. You could be, I don't know, you could have some downtime in a coffee shop. And as long as you've got your PS4 controller with you, you can literally take out your iPad and play as if you were at home, which I think is really cool. I mean, obviously, we know there's some limitations on games on iOS, um, although they have been getting really good, to be fair, in terms of graphics and performance and all that kind of stuff. But to have access to your console over an internet connection uh, for me is just really awesome. And uh, I mean, yeah, I guess that just wraps up our discussion on Apple versus Epic Games. We'll have to see what happens uh, on that going forward. So to just take a step or two back towards what I was doing last week. Obviously, we mentioned I was in Greece and we should have recorded an episode. I promised we would record an episode and we didn't. Um, But it is, I guess, important, Barry, to disconnect completely from your day to day. Um, actually, you know, be able to relax, be able to smell some fresh air and, and do all of those good things. Um, So I wanted to chat a little bit about traveling in a COVID world. I think for a lot of people, when you think about travel, when you think about how this pandemic actually became a pandemic and spread from China to every end of the globe, travel is essentially the key thing. So for a lot of people, there's a lot of fear there behind you know, getting out, getting onto a plane. Um, there's a lot of fear about, around that whole process. So I just wanted to chat about my, I guess, observations around this. And first things first, going through to the airport, it was pretty much completely normal, aside from wearing a face mask. It was fairly busy when I went, but in terms of, I guess, the clogged up areas, going through your customs and all of that kind of stuff, um, that was definitely smooth sailing. Um, so, you know, the airport is, is still, there's lots of people going in and out there. I think it's the sentiment's starting to change a little bit, and people are starting to feel a bit more comfortable. In terms of on the plane, initially I had expected me to be, you know, super hectic about having people next to me, about just being in, I guess, a, you know, compartment in the middle of the sky with people breathing and that same air kind of churning around, et cetera, et cetera. But funny enough, that face mask, for some reason, whether it's mental or whatever the case is, is really reassuring.
1: Do you find that, Barry? I do, Chad. I do. I think it's become our kind of our suit of armor, right? Yeah. Kind of Put the mask on, get out of our car, and go into our normal lives, and things slowly start to be feeling more natural. At least in, in my perspective. Obviously, I haven't been on a plane, so it's very cool to hear that you didn't feel super paranoid. Yep. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a range of emotions. Though. I'm sure some people do feel paranoid or do feel a bit worried about things, and they must sanitize everything when they get yep. to the seat. Yep. Did you kind of sanitize your seat and the front chair and all the stuff around you, or were you just like live and let <laughs> die?
0: No, so I flew with British Airways, and funny enough, they actually give out a little pack. I expected it to be more of a pack because I'd heard a little bit more of it. I actually heard at some stage you were giving away face masks and that kind of stuff, but it wasn't. It was one tiny little sanitary wipe kind of thing and a tiny little sachet of hand sanitizer. That's all you got for your whole flight. It was a three-hour flight. Um, and yes, every time I did use it, I you know sanitized around. The strange thing for me was that they actually gave every single person a, a snack. So traditionally, on a British Airways flight, you'd be able to order from a catalogue, which is Marks and Spencer. That is very similar to the, the Woolworths you would have in South Africa, and you'd be able to order things off the menu and and you know pay as as usual. Whereas they decided they were going to give every single person a packet of crisps, a you know two biscuits, a little thing of water. And so for me, that was the interesting thing was the the challenge, I guess, at eating with a face mask on. You can't, so you have to take the <laughs> face mask off at some point. And I guess when you do you realize how much you actually count on this thing to protect you. Um, and so that was a little bit strange.
1: Chad, I had such an embarrassing story the other day, where is, you, you got this face mask on and sometimes you've had it on for so long that you kind of forget. Right. And so I was walking around the park I had my bottle of water in my hand and whatever. And I was walking and I was like, Oh, I feel a bit thirsty. I think it's time. Think it's time for a bit of water. And, uh, I put it up to my mouth and tried to drink through my mask. And I had a little bit of a moment. I'm like, what an idiot. What?" And I was hoping no one would see me around. And like, it was a horrible moment. But I, I know that feeling because, again, you got to take the mask off, quickly eat, quickly drink, put it back on. It's yeah. a whole new world.
0: That's a hilarious story, Barry. So did you actually let the water go out onto your mask? Or, or did you catch yourself in time?
1: Luckily, not. Luckily, not. Luckily, I didn't do like a down the whole water bottle. So, so it, it was manageable. I didn't pour water all over myself, but I did feel like a real idiot. <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. No, fair enough. I, I completely get that. Well, anyway, then we arrived in Greece and essentially, I guess every single country's got different requirements, right? So in Greece, 48 hours before your flight, you have to fill in a form that essentially says where you're going to be staying the first couple of days, where you're coming from, etc., etc., And they give you a QR code as well that you need to, I guess, scan when you get that side. And on a random basis, people are tested for COVID. So I guess you going through the queue, you're not sure whether you're going to get this test or not. Obviously, you know, no one minds, I guess, testing from, I don't know, cooperating kind of point of view. But it's more from the discomfort of having this thing shoved up your nose. Uh, so there was a lot of fear in that line. I think a lot of people were wondering whether they're going to be called out or not. And funny enough, the two groups of families in front of me were, and they were not pleased. Oh. <laughs> um, but I, I guess the thing is, if you if you have been carrying this virus and you haven't had any symptoms, uh, the, the thing is, once you arrive, you do have to quarantine then for two weeks. If you are tested positive, um, that is the one thing. So anyway, luckily, we were able to go out, have our holiday. And this is the thing, Barry. So at the right at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned I felt like I had escaped the pandemic just because we were on this island. I think they've only had three cases or something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it certainly, certainly was not too intense. Face masks when you're in the shop. Um, other than that, you know, generally you rent your own car. When you're on the beach, you don't have to wear a face mask or anything like that. When you're walking around outside, it's all good. And so for me, it really did feel like I've, I've escaped. Um, and so to be back in London feels a bit strange.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at your photos and you look like you're having a great time. And I, I like the idea that you felt that you escaped. I, mm. I went to Kimberley this past weekend and I also felt the same. I, right. not, not the same kind of level yeah. of scenery as, as, as Greece. But at the same time, I felt like I got away from the same place I've been living for so long. We've yeah. all been locked in our houses for months and months and months and months. And so just this change of scenery, a new kind of perspective, some new food, some new, like places to explore Definitely, that must have been so refueling for the soul.
0: Definitely, definitely. You return back with uh, this flame that is ignited again. Um, you know, you're able to get back to the the day-to-day. And I guess we've all just been locked up in in our houses. It's really nice to disconnect uh, for a week. And for me, if you have the opportunity to take a week away and if the government allows, wherever it is that you're staying in the world, I really think you should do it. I honestly, honestly do. Um, because let's let's face it, let's be honest. A lot has happened this year. And we don't know when we're going to be able to go for a holiday like this again.
1: Yeah, we, we've we realized how much you take for granted, yep. how much you take for granted the idea of just being able to move around at your at your world, to be able to explore new places, jump on a plane and in a few hours be somewhere yep. completely different culturally. Um, So if you have that chance, if you have that choice, do it responsibly, do yep. it with caution. Definitely. But I promise you it'll be really good for your mental health. It, it really will be, be great. And I think it'll just help you realize that like we are getting towards the light. The light is there. Yeah. It really is there. And as humans we will overcome the the chaos of the last 6 months.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree, Barry. Well, one of the chaos things that happened this past week and it really really was an absolute tragic bit of news to come through and you know, I guess wherever you were in the world, you know this person, you know uh, I guess the the achievements that he's had and and to hear that Chadwick Boseman dies of cancer at the age the young age of 43 was absolutely devastating. I think the thing here is that the majority of people who knew and loved him, him and his work didn't know that he had cancer and he's just been battling it sort of silently throughout the years he's been acting in these lead roles um breaking new ground in terms of you know race and diversity and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, he's just been kind of trudging along, even though being on chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, devastating news, Barry.
1: Yeah, definitely. It really was a sad one. And it was yet another one of these blows that 2020 keeps hitting us yeah. across the face with. Um, he really was an icon, right? And not only a great actor and like a really important actor, but a great person as well. Mm. If you listen to any of his speeches or his interviews, he's so well-spoken, he's so humble, he's so down to earth, yep. a really, really amazing guy. And like you say, he broke new barriers. He was the very first black superhero. Of course, his biggest role was playing the, the lead in Black Panther, yeah. which was a phenomenon, one of my favorite movies of all time, to Agreed. be honest, Agreed. and a real like breakthrough for the Marvel Universe and for superheroes in general. And he has been this inspiration. There are so many black kids around the world who can look up to this guy and say, I can be a superhero too. Mm. And that is so, so important, a really big legacy. And like you say, to do all of this while having cancer – is is a superhuman effort excuse the pun
0: it is it definitely definitely is um just fascinating i guess how how people once they've got their eye on a goal and they just go for it they just go through any obstacle that comes in their way and something like cancer really isn't something to be played around with so like you say a superhuman effort indeed
1: yeah it's one of those things i wonder what his mind was like knowing that he had limited time Yep. I'm sure a lot of the hunger and the emotion and and the the skill and like knowing he wants to mm-hmm. leave a mark on this world must have come from the idea that he knew he had this in the background. He knew that his time was limited, yeah. and it's kind of it's it's almost one of those things. I wish we could all realize that our time is limited, right? Because even if we don't have cancer right now, we know that we only have X amount of years left. And if we were able to live like that, if we were able to really understand that every single second is precious. Every single hour that we do something, every all the time we spend with friends and family and the, the yeah. things we chase and, and all that, that is precious and we t- shouldn't take it for granted. And that's what I'm hoping stories like this and legacies like Chadwick's will bring into the world is that during that time, he knew his time was limited and he put out some incredible art that will stand the test yeah. of time. And we should be able to do that for ourselves, Chad.
0: Definitely, definitely. One of the things we were talking about offline just before we started hitting record with the various fears that we come across in you know, whatever our pursuits are. Sometimes we've, we've got the goal and we know where we want to go, but it's just so easy for these fears to creep in. And I guess when you are in this kind of position, when you know what your fate is going to be, for some reason it's easier to, to shut off those fears. But you're completely right. Why can't we all get ourselves into that kind of mental state and just live for the moment, live for the life that is a short life. Even a normal life is a short life. Um, appreciate the moments, appreciate the time you have and use the skills that you have without worrying about all of these fears that creep in.
1: Without a doubt. And it's something that I hope we can carry forward, especially after this pandemic, because mm. a lot of the fears are similar what we felt in this pandemic. And I wrote a post on my newsletter that, that came out this Monday, talking about how we have to learn from what's happened in the last six months. Yep. If we just go back to normal and we forget about what's gone on and we forget about how we felt during this lockdown period, then we haven't really learned from what we've been through. And so if you can look at Chadwick Boseman's story and learn something from that, that's how it's going to push you to be a better person. And hopefully we keep that in our minds and we don't get into that same old habits of playing the status games and worrying about our appearance and worrying about what other people think about us and rather just focusing on doing what we're put on this planet to do at the best of our abilities. And uh, yeah, please, please, guys, listen to that and let's all hold each other accountable and do it. Absolutely. What better place to move on
0: to the next segment? Stuff I found interesting. Alrighty, righty. So I think I threw this in. Uh, it was two weeks ago. I know we were supposed to record last week, Barry. And it was basically <laughs> a little story that I came across that I giggled. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was so interesting. But at the same point, so important. Now, when you think about climate change and something that we talk about very often um, we've got to think about the crops, right? So crops over time have been able to develop to, I guess, the conditions that they are under. This obviously traditionally has happened at a fairly slow pace and they've been able to do all of those adjustments. But when you look at climate change, we've got to think about the crops that are available and whether they're actually going to be able to grow under the heightened temperatures around the world. So I've been watching a series, a documentary series by... Uh, Zach Efron. I'm a fan of his. I know a lot of people have some very strong things to say and are not big fans, but that's all good. I enjoy him. I enjoy him from his high school musical days all the way up to the newest stuff. Um, And basically he is trying to use his profile and I guess all of the various eyes and ears that are on him to try and do a little bit better. So try and actually contribute a little bit more. So this documentary series is called Down to Earth and essentially, It's looking at sustainability practices around the world. So essentially him and his co-hosts go around to to different countries, look at things that they are doing, um, and I guess just make you aware of this. I've already learned so much. I'm only five episodes in, um, and I've I've learned quite a lot. So in this particular episode, Barry, he takes us to Peru, where there is, how's this, And, and listen to this, and let me know what you think. The International Potato Center. Did you think anything like that existed? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I did it, but now I want to visit more than anything, Chad. Of course. That's amazing. And in Peruval places. What in do they Peru. do there?
0: Yeah, so basically they have got a vault. And obviously they do various various things. I, I think a lot of it is research trying to get different strains of potatoes. I don't know if you know how many strains of potatoes there are, Barry, but there's an awful lot of them. I only know of the two, <laughs> the sweet potato and you know the normal potato. But, um, Barry, in this particular vault that they have, they've got this vault where they store 4,600 types of potatoes in a vitro
1: gene bank. How insane! That is crazy. That is crazy. My my only kind of idea when I think of potatoes, (laughs) I think of moon food. I think that people growing it for the food go to space and whatnot. But to have 4,600 different types. Um, that is just bizarre. And it's a reminder of how complicated this stuff actually is, yeah. right? In our minds, there's one potato, there's a sweet potato. Like you say, and that's pretty much it. Um, that is fascinating.
0: Yeah, there's so many genes within these potatoes that they can modify, genetically modify. So when we talk mm. about their work in Africa, essentially they have rolled out a fast maturing biofortified potato that is able to address some of the hunger concerns that's happening in some countries in Africa. And uh, I I guess, you know, just in terms of addressing the the climate, looking at what kind of crops can grow at various temperatures, essentially what they do in this bank, and this bank is an earthquake-proof bank. So if something were to happen that literally maybe wiped out, I don't know, the whole of humanity, whatever the case is, there would still be this bank that would store all of these various seeds and that they could theoretically get any of these particular strains of potatoes going again, which I think is fascinating. I think it's an important function. And, you know, we don't, I know we don't like to talk about conspiracy theories. We don't like to talk about crops just suddenly being wiped out across the globe. But it is important that we have this kind of bank, don't you think?
1: Definitely, Chad. I mean, if we put aside the, the zombie movie kind of idea, it's, <laughs> it's more about things like what happened if nuclear war broke out? Yeah. or What yeah. happened if there was giant climate change that really like tore apart the, the ecosystem? Yeah. What happens if a pandemic like destroys civilization? Like, There's all these very terrifying existential threats that we don't like to think about, but yeah. are still there. And if we want our human civilization to go on, we have to be buying these sorts of insurance policies. So I really like this idea, like this idea of this having this vault where you try and like make sure you, you keep some sort of food source, some some means of robust, really like well-adapted food sources to ensure that if things go south and if the if if things hit the fan, how do we rebuild from from nothing? And this is one of those key components. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the right way of thinking about it as an insurance policy, because that's exactly what it is. Um, And I mean, just in terms of one of the little stats that I grabbed out of some of the articles that I read on the back of discovering this doomsday earthquake proof potato vault um, was one that was released by the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, where they said that 75 percent of crop diversity was lost between 1900 and 2000. And they also estimate that a further 22% of the wild relatives of food crops will disappear by 2055 because of the changing climate. Now, that's within our lifetimes very much, Barry. And 22% is
1: is a big number. We can't be complacent about this stuff. We really can't, right? The agriculture of today is going to be very different to the agriculture of 20 years down the line because, like you said, the climate is changing. Humans are changing the planet. They're changing the ecosystems and how they work. And so... When we're trying to feed 7 plus billion people, we have to be really careful about this stuff. And it's scary to hear that that sort of diversity is being lost. But unfortunately, that is, that's what's happening around the world when it comes to the species diversity in animals, in plants, mm-hmm. in yep. food. It's kind of a recurring story here. And unfortunately, we, we, we don't have the economic incentive to try and like fight climate change because it feels so far away sometimes. And it's still debated in these like high political areas about whether it's even real or not. And at some stage, we have to come together as humanity and be like, "Enough is enough." And yep. at, at some point, we have to get to a stage where we have to start doing things differently to ensure that we don't get to a stage where the only thing left is potatoes, Chad. Because I don't know about yeah. you, but I could eat potatoes maybe for a day or two. <laughs> to eat it for weeks at a time, just just potatoes, I would struggle. It's
0: so true, Barry. So true. And I, I'm I'm sure there are some other banks around the world, but we shouldn't be relying on our insurance policies, right? They should be there. As insurance policies only. So, yes, we need to kind of keep this message front of mind. Do go and check out this uh, Netflix series. It's called Down to Earth with uh, Zach Efron. And uh, yeah, I think it's certainly worthwhile just having a little watch anyway.
1: We're soaring, flying. <laughs> There's not a star in heaven that we can. I mean, he's high school musical, guys. Go and watch it. For goodness sake.
0: Looking ahead. Now, Barry, this one looks good.
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that everyone has a love-hate relationship with, and that is PowerPoint presentations. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've, gone to, if you've been in a school or you've, you've worked at a corporate, or so basically across life, there, there has been a time in your life where you've had to either put together a PowerPoint presentation or watch someone else spew a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation at you. And uh, there is a very big gap between the good ones and the bad ones, Chad. And I think, unfortunately, 90% of them put us to sleep. Let's just be mm. honest. Yep. I don't know what happened in your school days, Chad. But in mine, there were lots of occasions where people would bring their prepared speeches and they put the presentation on the, on, the, on the board. And then they would just stand and read the presentation <laughs> to us off of the projector screen. Oh, no. And then the teacher would be like, that's not the point. You yep. need to be like... More interactive. The, the screen's supposed to be a visual aid. It's not supposed to contain yep. your entire speech. It really was a thing about learning how to be confident in your public speaking, yep. but also learning how to use your your slides in the best possible way. And if you do it really well, it can be really powerful. If you look at some of the best TED Talks around the world, they sure. really do a great job at making sure they they mingle the actual verbal communication with the visual aid. And so, PowerPoint has become this the skill that. We never really taught about it. We never taught how to do good ones, but we kind of need it in our day-to-day lives, especially in work situations. Definitely. And Microsoft had decided to try and make it a little bit easier for us, Chad, with this new thing they're calling Presenter Coach. Okay. Basically what happens is that you're going to click on this button that says Presenter Coach and it's going to start recording you giving your speech. So you're going to go through the slides and rehearse the timings of the slides and talk through what you want to talk through and it's going to be recording you as you go. Once you click stop, it's going to analyze exactly what you've just done and give you a bunch of tips as to how you can improve your performance. So tips might be don't read, for example. So it's going to check up on you and see how much of your thing was just reading off the slides and how much was actual original um, thoughts. The second thing, things like filler words, how many ums, how many likes, how many uhs, all of that good stuff, like counting those and making sure that you're as crisp and as tight as possible looking at potentially sensitive phrases, so potentially when you are not gender neutral, potentially when you are saying things you maybe shouldn't be saying, it'll kind of call you out on that. It'll also look at the speed at which you talk. I know I struggle with this. I race. I will talk fast, 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 (laughs) fast, fast, and people will get lost behind me, right? And I'm sure if you're listening to the podcast, you understand that entirely because I talk very fast. (laughs) It'll give you a sense as to whether you're talking too fast or you're talking too slowly. Um, And some other ways to improve your presentations. And so basically, it's a really cool piece of AI, Chad, that's going to look at your speech in entirety and hopefully make you a little bit better while you're doing your your practice sessions in your bedroom in front of your mirror.
0: This is so awesome. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. I know that PowerPoint has had the ability to, I guess, put live subtitles down on your PowerPoint presentation. So if you are potentially presenting to an audience that understands a different language, it can translate in real time. Um, There's all these fantastic features But this, I guess, takes it to the next level where you're using AI to actually grade you on your speech. And what an amazing tool to be able to have as a student today.
1: Don't you wish you had this kind of tool growing up? I really do, Chad. I really do. It's kind of unfair, to be honest, that the kids (laughs) today are going to have these AI tools, right? We had to kind of work our way through these long-prepared speeches when we were like nervous in front of our classmates. This is one of those things where in the privacy of your own home where there's no judging eyes, you can practice and practice and practice. And have like a real speaking coach just for you. And what's really cool about this chat is that obviously they just released this. So version one is in the market and it's gonna have a few glitches and a few bugs. But the the beauty of AI and the magic of AI is that the more people use it, the more powerful it's going to become. And so over time, it's gonna become a better and a better and a better coach. And hopefully we'll improve the standard of presentations across the world and that that's a really good thing because we spend a lot of time listening to people give presentations. And if they yeah. can get better, even by one or two percent, it's gonna have a huge productivity improvement and just general like life quality improvements. If you can sit through slightly fewer terrible presentations.
0: Well, I mean, on that point, I wonder whether TED Talks are gonna start releasing an index, a score of the of the actual talk <laughs> released by PowerPoint by PowerPoint. So you know going in what it was graded by the, uh, by the system. But obviously, it's artificial intelligence. It's not always going to get it perfect. Um, but that would be really quite cool to have a bank of, I guess, the very successful uh, presentations that has gone through the system available for you to consume um, in a you know, central library. What do you think?
1: That would be really cool, Chad. But the problem is that these things are so subjective, right? Yeah. It's so subjective as to what is a good presentation. So some of the things we chatted about, speed and that sort of stuff, that, that's kind of some of the functional mechanics of your of your talk, and, and yep. you can definitely improve on those things. But when it comes to the quality of the content, when yep. it comes to yep. kind of the, the matching of your target audience to what you're talking about, you sure? when it comes to your charisma or your personality, that's going to be varied widely across, across the mark. And so I think what they're trying to do with this is trying to get the basics right, trying to make sure your speed is good, you're kind of talking without the fillers, you're making sure that you are giving something that's more than just the slides you're presenting. But anything above that, the creativity, the charisma, any of that stuff, I don't know if you can score that.
0: Completely agree. And so if you do on the back of this, log into your PowerPoint, look at one of your presentations and do your record and it splits out a really low score, just bear that in mind, bear that in mind. It's just a computer. <laughs> it might be missing out a lot. Um, and so just, you know, try on. take some feedback if there is constructive feedback. If not, well, just, you know, drop it to the wayside and carry on with what you're doing. I think that's important to note. So while we're on looking ahead, Barry, and we like to talk about our favorite bits of tech, um, I made a bit of a uncharacteristic type of move this past week. And I've been <laughs> judging those people like you who have got these little things hanging out of their ears that, uh, you know, look really strange, but we've got used to them. Funny enough, they've become fairly normal to see. And
1: I bought myself a pair of AirPods. It's really cool, Chad. And they they look even less conspicuous than mine because mine are like the original, so they look much longer in my ears and uh, they do look a little bit silly sometimes. But you bought the ones that are a little bit shorter and so I'm imagining they look a little bit better. Um, and I'm very yeah. curious to hear your your thoughts because one of the big changes with AirPods Pro is that they brought in noise cancellation. Yep. And that was kind of the big feature change compared to the ones that I have in my ears. And from my perspective, I have found these products to be exceptional. Yeah. Across all my traveling last year, they were really a A really integral part of my travel and the number of conferences and and business calls I was on with these things in train stations, in buses, like traveling around the world was incredible and they still are working perfectly and they're they're one of the best products i bought in a long time and so to hear the AirPods Pro is something that you've bought makes me excited and I want to hear about your experience both good and bad Chad.
0: Absolutely. So you're right. They are slightly uh, smaller in terms of, I guess, how long they extend out of your ear. But they are still signature AirPods. You'll see someone walking around and you'll be like, those are AirPods. Um, so they've they've kind of kept the same, I guess, structure, although they have made it a little bit smaller. So one of the reasons why I never got into the original AirPod line was was the fit. So I think I had tried some on in the, in the Apple store. And I don't know why, but the stock Apple headphones have just never fit nicely in my ears. Um, you know, they, they're they quite loose. I know some people don't struggle with that at all, but I've always struggled with that. So if ever going for these kinds of in-ear headphones or earphones, I would always go for the ones that have the rubber suction cups in them. Um, so you can actually, you know, put it in and you've you've got that good seal. So that's one of the other things that they've changed with the AirPods Pro is that they've got that little bit of suction. There's three sizes, I think, that they give you and you can, you know, select your size and it's really quite comfortable. It really, really is. It it fits in. I haven't even tried the other sizes, just the one that came straight out the box. Fits really nicely in. So I tried it out basically for my flight. So it was a three-hour flight, Um, and I'd heard a lot of people talk about noise-canceling. You and I, Barry, have been talking about it for ages. I've been wanting to buy a pair for so long. And in fact, two weeks ago, the latest Sony over-ear noise-canceling headphones were released. The W H one thousand XM fours. I think that's the name. It's a crazy <laughs> long name. Um, a lot of people. say. I don't
1: understand why do they, why do they do that with names, Chad? Why do they make them so crazy? It's like oh. you're reading a serial number off the back of your router. Like why, why don't they have a catchy name for these things? I will never understand that. I will. No never one understand.
0: will. No one will understand it. I've seen people say that they literally threw their keyboard. Out onto the floor and whatever came through on the screen, <laughs> that's what they went with. And I mean, it, it does feel like that. It really does. Um, but that, they were released two weeks ago and I actually went into my local tech store. And even, you know, in COVID times, I tried them on. I tried them on, checked them out, looked at extensive amounts of reviews, those versus the Bose 700s, etc, etc, etc. And I don't know why I found myself just not being enticed by any of those. I was at the airport. Looking at a pair of AirPods and the size, it's just the size, the size, the convenience, the fact that you can put them into your pockets, Barry. And I think that's, you know, that's why you've been able to get such a big amount of mileage out of yours as well. It's just that form factor and the case, the case that charges them. You just charge the case, you throw them in and, you know, get a top up in battery life wherever you are. You don't need a power bank with you, et cetera, et cetera. I think they've just nailed so many things in so many levels. Um, And yeah, they've just produced a fantastic product here.
1: Apple are just so good at understanding what their user's actually going to use it for and being able to fit their products into the lifestyle of the user. They know that they were sacrificing sound quality, right? If you're a music head and you want to hear that complete surround sound, perfect kind of mp 3 quality You're not going to get that in AirPods, but you're not buying it because of that. No. You're buying it for the convenience of being able, like you said, to put it in your jeans pockets. It's tiny. It's absolutely yep. tiny. And it, it it's so portable and so well put together. The charging case is amazing. If my AirPods die, I can chuck them in the charging case for a good 10 minutes and it can give me another 40% battery life. Amazing. And that's an amazing piece of technology. Yep. Yep. And that's why these things have become absolutely integral to my life. And I use them every single day without fail. Yep. So as uh, uh, we feel like we're Apple Shul- we sound like <laughs> Apple Shills again, Chad, and people are going to think we're we're biased and yeah. maybe we are, but these products are just so good like the the airpods are such a good piece of technology, and for anyone who is traveling or anyone who is like running around town, it really makes a lot of sense instead of having to carry around some of the bigger over ear headphones
0: definitely definitely, especially when you're traveling on a you know fairly short holiday, you're not taking a whole bunch of stuff with you. those over ear headphones are big they take up a lot of space and so that's why i opted for for these but one of the very very important things for me because i was getting into noise cancelling is i went up to two of the sales reps independently when they were not together and i asked them if the (laughs) bose you know 700s are 100% of noise cancelling where would you grade the the airpod pros and both of them said 70 to 80% range so they cover a fairly significant bit of noise cancelling and when i found myself on the plane tuning it on watching a youtube video with not extremely loud sound it truly truly is incredible how good this noise cancelling is you literally are in your own little bubble you cannot hear any of the jets and i think all of the other little things that they get so well in this is when for example when my fiance tapped me wanting to talk i pull one out of my ear and suddenly the noise cancelling is off my music or my video stops immediately It just all works and as soon as I put it back in my ear, it's all playing again. It's just all those integrations that are amazing. Use it on my laptop, use it on my uh, MacBook and funny enough, I didn't find any significant lag. Whenever I use a Bluetooth device, so for example if I was using these Bose headphones to edit video for example, I find a big lag between my, my talking on the screen and my talking in the ear. And for some reason, Apple's been able to minimize that lag to an insane amount in these AirPod Pros. Um, so anyway, I could go on for days and days because uh, I do <laughs> love them. They are expensive, yes, but they are worth every single penny.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the benefits of the Apple ecosystem once again. It's like the reason they can do all of this stuff because all the products tie into each other so nicely and they're designed to be used together. And so, like you say, it just works. When you're switching between devices, it works. Pulling out the ear, it works. The pausing and all that good stuff. And you simply can't get away with that if you've got devices that aren't super tightly designed together. And yeah, they are expensive, like you say. But for me, I think it's Apple's best product of the last Mm. three or four years, to be honest. Um, If I look at all the products they've released in the last little bit... Um, I think that at the time people were looking at it like, oh, that's just that looks terrible and <laughs> too expensive. But if you look around you, they have really taken over and you see them if once you start looking for them, you see them everywhere. And also the
0: importance now, Barry, of, of video calls, right? The importance of video calls, whether oh, yeah. you're taking it on your mobile, whether you're taking it on your laptop. A lot of these, you know, noise cancelling or even other Bluetooth headphones, the the microphones are not great for video calls. Whereas AirPods have
1: crisp, clear microphones. I mean, it's the way that we talk every week. Chad, I've used these for, must be thousands of video calls at this stage. Like All my meetings, all the conferences, all the conference calls, anything I use these things. Yep. And they've never, ever given me any issues, touch wood. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things where they're reliable, like you say, they're high quality when it comes to the microphone, the noise cancellation, et cetera and they're so convenient. Just pop them in my little like dental floss case <laughs> and put in my pockets and I'm I'm good to go. Um, there's yeah. something so magical about that experience yeah. rather than carrying around the over-over-ear headphones. And so for anyone who's in the market for for wireless headphones, mm-hmm. um, I don't think you can go wrong with them. One other thing I want to want to say is that I even use them when I'm exercising, Chad. Okay. So when I'm running, when I'm at the gym and and I've been fine. I know that I know the fit is not perfect for everybody. But for me, they stay in my ears if Amazing. I'm running, if I'm sprinting, if I'm going wow. up a hill, if I'm on the treadmill, whatever it is. And so I've used them for absolutely everything. Amazing. And uh, I have nothing bad to say about them.
0: Well, that's good to know because um, you know I always struggle whenever I'm at gym and, for example, bench pressing or whatever the case is, you've got those headphones where they're wireless, but they wrap around your neck. And whenever you do that, they, they, they fall off. They fall off. Um, so <laughs> to be able to actually wear them to gym, I'm very excited to be able to do that as well. Um, yeah just what a great product so far and uh, I'm just excited it's one of those where if you're spending your money on a physical item make sure that you get value out from it Um, and and this is one of those things that just gives you so much value so yeah we could talk all day about Apple and uh, you know we probably have (laughs) (laughs) we probably have and it's probably then the right time to turn off our record buttons and wrap up episode 42
1: It's been good to be back, Chad. I know like two weeks break, we've we've all refreshed and we're back to to normal. Um, So really good to see you again, to hear all the the news and whatnot. I think across the pond is an exciting journey and it kind of feels like season two. So I'm (laughs) looking forward to taking this forward into the next level. If you have made it this far, you are a champion as always. We really appreciate you and we hope we'll see you next week for the next episode.
0: Absolutely. And if you know anyone who you think will enjoy listening to us as well as much as you do, send them our way. We would like to have them as part of the Across the Pond family and uh, yeah, I'm sure they can definitely join in every week. That's all for today, folks. We'll see you next week. Pond, pond,
1: across, across the, the pond, pond with Barry and Chad.